That's cool. That's not what happens. What will happen is, what will happen is, I will put around at 2,700 feet per second into the medulla at the base of your brain, and you will be dead from the neck down before your body knows it. Your finger won't even twitch. Only you get dead. So tell me, sport, do you believe that? Hey, f Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a podcast where we talk about movies, specifically a movie that at least one of us hasn't seen before. And I say at least one of us because this week, uh, the movie that we watched was the 2006 Michael Mann written and directed movie, Miami Vice. And uh, I had never seen it. Um, Joining me this week, I am Travis, by the way, your host. TV's Travis uh, is kind of the online name that I go by. Joining me uh, to talk about this movie, I've got AJ. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, David. Hello. Hey, and uh, Keith. hey Now, we've got four people on the panel this week, and three of the four of us had not seen this movie before, because, uh, like I said, I had not seen it. David, I'm assuming you haven't seen it because, well, you haven't seen anything? Correct. I had not. Keith, how about you? Yet, yet another movie that slipped through the cracks. All right. And AJ, had you seen this before? About a decade ago. All right, well, um, so Miami Vice is a movie based on a 1980s TV series. The The TV series ran from 84 to 1990, and it is about as 80s a TV series as you can get from what I remember. Now, I was not a huge fan of it at that time um, because it was just a little – 84 to 90 would have been – I wasn't quite into something like Miami Vice. I was watching ALF. I was watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Those were the things I was watching in that kind of time frame. Nerd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my, <laughs> But I knew of Miami Vice. I, I, you know, I knew about Don Johnson wearing you know, teal and pastel-colored shirts and, and boat shoes with no socks and driving a Ferrari around and all that. And um, it was very colorful. Um, I remember it as cheesy but it may not have been it may have actually been trying to be serious um i just remember it was set in miami and they had the ferrari um this movie was kind of the opposite of that uh of what i remember of the show it was not colorful um and i want to get into some of that in a little bit but the first thing i want to talk about is the cast who is in the movie because this movie stars colin farrell and jamie fox um Two, I feel, very talented actors. Um, I don't know what you guys think of either of those two. Yeah, they're pretty good. I think both Yeah, I think both Solid. of them are great. I mean, Jamie Foxx was coming off of Ray when he did this movie. And in fact, during production of this movie is when he won his Oscar uh, for Ray. Which, from what I've been able to read, kind of led to some uh, problems on set as his ego grew a little bit. Um one of the things I did read was that he refused to shoot any stuff that took place on a plane or a boat. I want you to think about that for a second. But yeah, <laughs> they're making well, Miami Vice. You... The movie takes place in the Caribbean. They're they're the drug... two vehicles they used other than cars constantly. Right. They... Oh, near ex... and more than the cars even. Yeah, they spent Either more one. time. They spent more time in a plane than they did in the Ferrari in the movie. And yeah. he refused to do that. And I guess... And wasn't that a Lotus? 
No, no. Ferrari. Yeah, it was a Ferrari F430. Um, Okay. And, uh, yeah, so apparently Jamie Foxx wouldn't wouldn't shoot anything um, on a boat or in a plane. He that something happened in the Dominican Republic where there were shots fired when they were shooting there. So he just packed up and left and was like, "Nope, I'm not I'm not doing this anymore." And they had to rewrite the ending, like the ending shootout. Um, the, I, I do want to go into a little bit more with the directing and kind of the production of the movie a little bit later, but um, because it's it's kind of interesting. But I just found that uh, odd. I mean, I like Jamie Foxx. Obviously, he's you know, he can act. Ray was amazing. Um, I've seen him in plenty of other stuff that I thought he was good in. I didn't care a whole lot in this, um, but that's sort of the ongoing theme for this movie. Um, Colin Farrell the same way. I like Colin Farrell. Um, you know, I like him when he's hamming it up. Like, he was the the one of two enjoyable things in the movie uh, Daredevil was him and Michael Clark Duncan because he's just hamming it up and having fun. Um, you take I, that back. I really, really liked uh, Phone Booth, if you've ever seen that. Um, if you haven't, you should. It's actually a really, really fun little thriller. Uh, basically, the entire of the, the entirety of the movie literally takes place in a phone booth in New York. I've seen parts of it. I just didn't have time to finish watching it. Um, which is kind of interesting because that movie is only like 85 minutes long. You know, it's a pretty short yeah. for a feature film. But, um, but he's great in that. Um, I mean... I think he's been good in a lot of things. I okay, so Colin Farrell never really has become kind of that that marquee star that you sort of thought maybe he was going to become early on in his career. You know, he's not quite a Tom Cruise in terms of like he can be the the man behind driving a film, but he's done some really good movies. So I know what my favorite Colin Farrell film and performance is, but I'm kind of curious to know what you guys think of him. As an actor, because David, you said you like him. Uh, total Recall. <laughs> in Bruges. Okay, I can't tell David I if you're win. being serious or not. Um, I I'm, actually uh, really enjoy his Total Recall, but In Bruges is definitely his best performance. Okay, thank you, because that is the correct answer. Uh, <laughs> in Bruges, In Bruges is amazing and criminally underappreciated by just kind of the general public. That um, and London Boulevard. I always felt that they had a similar character, although the the story is very different. Mm-hmm. And I mean, In Bruges is not uh, an accessible story by any stretch. It's kind of dark. It's very dark, but he's just phenomenal in it. Um, no, but I mean, outside of and and really outside of Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx, everyone else in this movie is just cookie cutter. Like they they are nothing. They really give nothing to the story. The, the next closest thing you have to a star in this movie is um, who? The the guy or the um, woman that plays Trudy, um, Tubbs's girlfriend or whatever, is the only other the... character. She was the, the Jamaican, um, oh, uh, she was in Pirates of the Caribbean. I can't think of the character name. Um, Calypso? Yes. But I mean, outside of that, like, there's no, you know, nobody in this movie is really the the parts aren't that big, you know. You got Lee Gong or Gong. She was credited as Gong Lee as Isabella. I don't recognize her from anything else. Um, uh, Sir, Siren Hines. Yeah, Siren Hines. I recognize from other things. Memoir so Keisha. yeah, Sir, now Siren Hines, I like a lot, but he was sort of a he did an amazing American accent, I think. I don't know what it is with some of the um, actors in this movie. Like Colin Farrell does good American accents. Syrian Hines, I thought, nah, did really good in this movie. 
so yeah, I, I have some things to say about that here in a second. Um, but uh, you know, Syrian, so Syrian Hines, I guess, would be the only other one. And really, unless you, um, nine out of ten people aren't going to know him by name. You can't say, oh, Syrian mm-hmm. Hines. They're going to be like, oh yeah, him. No, they're not going to know who that is. Um, but I mean, nobody else, no other characters really had a whole lot to it. And and Syrian Hines' character is FBI agent Fujima, and he's kind of the chick in the bucket in this movie where. They just sort of forget about him. Like, he's, you think he's going to be really important. And I was actually, while I was watching this, I kept thinking, oh, please don't let him be the leak. Like, it would be way too cliched and tropey to have the the special agent in charge be the leak. But he just sort of disappeared two-thirds of the way through the movie, and they never mention him again. Well, to be fair, the finish of the story kind of disappeared and never, you know, came back again either. That's true, and that that goes into some of the stuff I was talking about with production, where they kept having to rewrite the script. So, I mean, I've seen it twice now, and I literally ended up finishing watching it during lunch today. But please remind me, I, I don't believe we actually ended up finding out where the leak was. Not That's really. what I was about to say. It's like no. the FBI, and it's like, that was it. That was as far as we got in the opening problem. Uh- <laughs> yeah, no, the whole thing that starts the movie off is just forgotten partway through in in lieu of, like, uh, we're going to have a big shootout at the end, but with no real resolution there. Because they mentioned, like, the white supremacist group at the beginning, and then they're just forgotten about until the very end. Um, there's no real conclusion to anything on this. I, this movie was kind of a jumbled mess, but it, <laughs> it really started with, I like Colin Farrell. I like Jamie Foxx. They were boring in this. There was nothing, yeah. there was nothing going on. Um, like Jamie Foxx and uh, his character and Tr- the character Trudy, her their relationship. Yep, it's here. Okay, we don't see anything about that until we need a plot device here at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have one and- scene where they mess around in the shower, and then she basically is barely in the movie until, oh, we need somebody to be kidnapped. That was exactly what I thought watching this shower and uh, the sex scene they had was... Where did this come from? It means something's <laughs> happening to her later in this movie. Right. There like, was so much. Of otherwise, that. this wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, there was just so much of that in the movie. Like characters. They had no. They had no. Um, I, I can't think of the word, but they had no uh, interactions pre- in their previous scenes that indicated anything was going to happen between them. She was just present and yelly. Yeah. Well. So. In terms of the characters, I like the fact that they didn't make it some kind of an origin story where Crockett and Tubbs meet and how they became partners. They just sort of jump in and, like, they're partners already and all that. But there's also no context given to how long they have they been partners, how well do they get along. You barely... How much I mean, do they even trust each other? Right. Or, you can kind of see that they, they really do trust each other, but... You know, but do you though? Do you really? I mean, there's one line in it where Jamie Fox is like, "Are you okay?" Because you know I trust you. Basically, is what he says, and that's it. Other other than that, these could have been two dudes that didn't know each other at all or had known each other for a week. Like as far as I, I'm concerned, I, I appreciate that you didn't want this to be an origin story, and those typically are horribly done when they're this far past. But at the same time, we just take for granted. So much stuff like what is the background? How do they know each other? They work. They are, you know, they open up with we're cops. Miami Dade. We're police. 
uh, were being deputized by the FBI for reasons. Now, one of them is able to pilot a boat at like 75 miles an hour in the ocean without a problem. The other is able to uh, fly multiple airplanes. Uh, They're both very sufficient with multiple tactical weapons, including a, a grenade launcher with the shotgun blast in it. Um, a lot of things that you really don't encounter outside of like military and they're just, you know, or the comments like I've got full service, but you know, I've got full service, but I can't actually make a call. This is like, you know, army stuff in Fallujah. It's just like, where's all this coming from? Well, yeah. There's supposed to be a couple of drug detectives in Miami. And look, like I say, I appreciate that they didn't make it an origin story, but you can have something where you jump into a relationship partway through in a movie and it worked fine. We watched a movie just a few weeks ago, Running Scared. There is no origin to that, right? It just starts out they're already partners, but there's a chemistry between the two characters that in the context of the story that makes sense. Those two characters, you can tell the way that they interact they get along, they have for years, they get results, they they know how each other work. This, it was like, whatever they needed to know to suit the story, they knew. Whatever... I'd probably go as far as saying they didn't actually, you know, the two of them as actors didn't really seem to have the chemistry. No, not at all. I mean, I think of something like Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. I don't know if... if you know, Lauren, if uh, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith had known each other doing other stuff going back, but when they did those roles, which honestly are damn near the same role, but done well with some, some comedy, like it clicked, you know, it felt like they related. And in this, there's like, they might as well have been talking to a, like, you know, anyone off the street. There was no relationship there. No, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith definitely riffed off each other. And that, and it's just there was a constant thing to where you know they, it, it always felt like the other one had the, you know it's like no matter what they had each other's back. Kind yeah, of thing, you know. No, you're AJ. You're one hundred percent correct. Bad Boys is a better Miami Vice movie than Miami Vice. It really is. Um, and it's just there was there was no interaction between the two leads in this movie that made me think that they had ever been partners, the characters at all, and. And you're right, there was no chemistry between those two, and because of that, everything else just falls apart. Because there's no chemistry between those two. There's no chemistry between Colin Farrell and, uh, you know, Crockett and Isabella, in my opinion. That was, there was just nothing there. The, there was more chemistry between the mid-level drug dealer and Sonny than there was between any two characters in this movie. And those two, it was just like a pissing match the whole time of who could be more brooding. So, <laughs> I don't know. And look, Colin, I said earlier, Colin Farrell does really good American accents. And you're right, in this movie he did not. He growled through a lot of stuff. There was one or two scenes where he developed a southern twang for no good reason, and then it disappeared. In fact, I caught that, and it sounded like this. This, this does not fit the rest of the movie. Consider it an investment in the future of a fine business relationship. Like... That it that acts in there in the middle of the sentence. In the middle of the sentence, and then it's never done again. It's completely gone for the rest of the movie. Blame it on the mojitos. It's got to be. <laughs> and all right, so if I had to be in this film and I'd already signed the contract, I would probably be enjoying mojitos. You know, even in between takes. So yeah, you know, I mean, getting into character one way or another. Oh, I, there, okay. So real quick, I got to mention this because there were two. Very small parts in this movie that had actors I 100% absolutely love. The first one is Alonzo, 
the guy in the beginning of the movie, is played by right. John John yep. Hawks. John Hawks is amazing and makes anything he's in better. He was in a movie called Identity. He was in uh, American Gangster. Um, he always plays kind of a smaller part, but he's amazing. And, he, and once again, he just nails the, the role that he's playing here. And a lot of times he plays this type of role, that kind of wormy, um, you know, here he's playing, he's like a criminal informant, but he's great. And then the other one, and this was funny because in my notes, I have a line. Let me see if I can find it here. So this, the scene where they're busting into the trailer to get Trudy, uh, I wrote a note down here. I'm like, the redheaded guy looks like Tony Coran, which if it is, would be a waste of him. And it was uh, right when they opened the door and they, the guy with kind of long red hair, they just grab him and throw him out. Sure enough, looking sure. at the trivia for this movie, it's Tony Coran. <laughs> they they literally had him there. He doesn't you you don't even really see his face. It's just because I'm some kind of a weird freak that I noticed it was him. And it's such a waste of an actual good actor to instead have, you know, these other actors. Maybe it's because Tony Coran can't really do an American accent and he's with a white supremacist group, so that wouldn't really make sense. I don't know. I don't know. He's he's from Glasgow. If they would have had him talk, they could have just marked it up to being on meth, you know try to chew on those words a little bit more and you can't understand them anyway that's true but those two especially like, with that few teeth you know with, people do that but john hawks uh, great tony Cran wasted um but i mean everyone else i i think there was one other actor in this movie two other actors that i recognized um we talked about syrian hines already eddie marsan was nicholas one thing with john hawks character um, what was the deal with the zip ties on his wrist? I mean, it, they they were visible enough that and out of place enough that there should have been something explained about it. No, he had been captured. Just, I, that was the whole point. Is he had okay. been he had been captured by the white supremacists. They told him they got him to give up all the information on the the federal guys, the the Russians, the quote unquote Russians. And okay. so that was that was just evidence that he had been captured. Then they let him go, is the is is how I understood it. But that was from him being captured by the white supremacists. That brings up a very interesting point because he goes on about how bad these guys are, and they really emphasize that in the first twelve fifteen minutes of the movie. Like we're going after these guys that are so bad they just disappear everybody. And if that was the case, why would they have let you know Hawk's character go? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, no, why that's, they... that's a perfectly legitimate question, and I don't have an answer for you. Um, but uh, what I can say is that it was just bad writing. <laughs> um, I mean, the plot holes in this are amazing. Yeah, okay, so, no, they are. And and a couple of other actors of note, Eddie Marsan, we saw in um, The World's End, and he also does a pretty good American accent. It, it slips a little here and there. He's got a little more twang to his accent, but he was fine. He was the Nicholas character, the the drug dealer that they kind of were friends with, uh, or you know, not friends with, but friendly with. Um, that had the big uh, the condo, and then Tom okay. Tolls. Tom Tolls played uh, the character's name was Coleman, although they never say it in the entire movie. And he was the kind of lead white supremacist, the one that's always chomping on gum. Um, you'd recognize him. He's been in a bunch of. He's always in these little little parts. Um, I recognize him. And, I don't know from what, but he looked familiar. I mean, he, he did. did. He did, uh, you know, an episode of CSI, House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, he was in an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. Um, he did an episode of Firefly. 
So Drew you know, Carey show. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. He's recognizable. Wait, but... wait. He was the guy in the bar, wasn't he? On on uh, Unification Day, wasn't he? Yeah. Yep. That's that's okay. who he was in Firefly. So you know, but I, I was trying. I was trying to place him. But even so, like you can take Tom Tolls out of that role, and it doesn't change a thing. You take you know any of these actors out of these roles, and it doesn't change anything in this movie because they weren't written very well. And that kind of takes me into the next thing that I want to talk about, which is Michael Mann wrote and directed this, and and he was an executive producer of the series Miami Vice back in the eighties. It was one of his earlier projects that he had worked on. Um, he didn't create Miami Vice, which a lot of people think that he did. He didn't create the show, but he was a writer on it, and he was a showrunner. So he was sort of um, – showrunner in TV basically is sort of the overall director. They kind of give the, the overall uh, look or feel of the show. Um, so he was part of that, and then he went on to start doing films. And he does – you know, he usually takes a couple years to do films, but he, he – had worked with Jamie Foxx previously, and Jamie Foxx told him, hey, you should do a Miami Vice movie. He decided to do that, and honestly, I like Michael Mann's work overall. This is the worst of his movies I've ever seen. It's, he Okay, let's run down some of the stuff that he's made and see if you recognize any of these. So um, Manhunter, which was the first Hannibal Lecter movie that was ever made. Uh, it had Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter. He did The Last of the Mohicans. Probably okay. probably my favorite Michael Mann movie is Heat with De Niro and Pacino. Um, he did The Insider, Ali, Collateral, Public Enemies, um, and this and a movie called Black Hat that came out a few years ago um, with uh, Chris Collateral Hemsworth. was pretty good. Collateral has, you know, was fine. Um, it, it reviewed well. This is his second worst reviewed movie. With like a Rotten Tomato score of I think forty seven percent. The only thing worse was Black Hat, which came out in twenty fifteen. But most of his movies, he doesn't do a lot, but he's always everything's always solid, except for this. I'm sorry, this is bad. And apparently, had a lot of rewrites, a lot of script changes, a lot of location changes, and the budget ballooned. Uh, Universal states that the budget was one hundred and thirty five million dollars for this movie. Oh my gosh. It was probably closer to 150. Um, I don't know where that money went, other than maybe up somebody's nose. For all I know, um, you know, I, I think they might have gotten actual cocaine for those for those <laughs> things. Then it's hard to say that renting renting that kind of a boat. Well, they may not- have. <laughs> they, they may have bought them, and that would explain part of the, the you know, if you if you buy two boats and then blow them up in a scene. Ooh, that right man. there is at least a couple million. Um, well, maybe they decided to, like, blow up the airplanes, too. So the boat that Colin Farrell drove, that Moho, is a $500,000 yeah. boat. Yeah. They the had... ones that he blew up earlier were, mm-hmm. were still six-figure price tag boats. Oh, definitely. Um, now, Michael Mann is... He's kind of known for doing a ton of firsthand research when it comes to making a movie um, and writing a script. He did his first feature film was a movie called Thief, starring James Caan, and he did a ton of research with actual thieves in New York City to write the movie, and he was praised for it. And the same thing happened with like Heat. Heat. He did a ton of 
research into not only the criminal side of it, but also the police side of it and the police procedure and talking to, um, you know, actual retired detectives and all that. So that authenticity is there. And you see that a lot in his movies, but you also see it in his dialogue. Except I feel like the dialogue in this movie was trying too hard to be that, and it came off wrong, in my opinion. Maybe all of his research with the budget went into cocaine, which is why the writing came off poorly. I don't know. And look, I don't really want to say that because, you know, it's not super fair to somebody like Michael Mann. But it's just like, okay, here's here is a line from the movie. This is actually spoken in this movie. That is the hand we have been dealt at 1147 o'clock on Saturday night. The hell is that? Like, who talks like that ever? Uh. Is the hand we have been dealt? You can hear him break a little bit there. Oh yeah, no, he breaks a little bit and off. Dale, go ahead, Keith. Uh, It just seemed like it. It it was a little forced. Like, okay, we're in this situation. It's happening now. We have to do something, and they just found a really round, different way of saying it, and it it didn't really work as well as they wanted it to. No, okay. You know, saying, oh, this is the hand we've been dealt. I get that. I've heard that before. Um, given yeah. the time and the date that it happened, you know, this, but to say it that way, this is the hand we have been dealt at 1147 o'clock on Saturday night. Like, no, it, it just, that did, it wasn't a great delivery, but it's not a great line either. Also, there's yeah. terminology that they use throughout the movie. I get that the boats are called go fast boats, but it doesn't matter. I still, it sounds funny to me every time I hear the term a go fast boat. Um, go fast boat. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's and just really the the go fast boats aren't these big flashy things. They are stripped of every non essential piece and packed with stuff. And these are flashy boats. Yeah, kind of. Um, you know, it's just they said it so many times in the movie, and it just made me laugh every single time. All I I, I just kept hearing go fast boats running that close. Go fast boats. Go fast boats. Go they fast all, boats. That was another case of just listen to that accent again. This is Colin Farrell's American accent in this movie. And look, he's done it much better other than this movie. Go fast boats running that close. It just sounds bad. Another fast term. Running that close. The other term that they used a lot was um, closing each other's eyes or we'll close their eyes forever. I Maybe that's actual terminology that people use to talk about killing other people, but. I had never heard it before. Has, have any of you ever heard that term used for we're going to kill this person as we can close each other's eyes right now real fast? Is it I not, have not. Now real fast. <laughs> I don't I just. And, and, they, and another thing with that scene, where did he get, who tossed him the grenade? It was one of their uh, undercover guys. They they came in okay. with somebody. Um, but no, the closing, closing each other's eyes, closing their eyes forever. Like that was said more than once in this movie. And I had never heard that term ever used before. Um, there was, uh, or this one too. If we want you dead, you'd be no longer drawing breath in Miami. Who the hell said Drawing breath in Miami. And, and accents aside, like, honestly, who would say that to somebody? That doesn't even sound intimidating. I don't know. It just yeah. You sort of hear her and you're like, "What did she say?" Exactly. I had to like. I actually <laughs> backed it up. It was like, "Wait a minute. Did I hear that right?" Um, there wasn't a lot of audio to capture in this movie <laughs> to begin with, and the only other real thing I got was this. What the ass? What do they want? What the ass? I like that. That that cracked me up. 
Um, what, what the, the F? F? She said, what the ass? <laughs> what the ass? Yeah. Uh, so again, something I, I don't think okay, I've ever that, heard. That is something I will throw out there every so often when I'm confused. And, you know, so it's instead of a traditional WTF, it's, you know, what what the ass? You know, because it's a, I'm a little bit confused, so I need to, you know, say something that's slightly confusing to really drive home the point that something I've been told doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. I just, some of those lines of dialogue were just, they were not good. Uh, it, and on top of that, the story itself, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because like we were talking about earlier, the, it starts out with, uh, you know, when you're when you're writing a movie, you want to have a cohesive story. You, you don't necessarily have to follow a three-act structure. You don't have to have beginning, middle, and end. But there should be some sort of cohesion to everything. And this was like, oh, we've got the FBI and there's this white supremacist group, but now we're going to forget about them while we deal with the drug dealers. And then we're going to come back to the white supremacist group and the drug dealers at the end because they're working in cahoots like a lot closer now. And I don't know. I just Meanwhile, you've got the whole thing in the middle with uh, Crockett and uh, Isabella, which kind of came out of nowhere, him sort of hitting on her. And you think, okay, maybe he's just playing her, but then... For most of that scene, and I even had notes on it, like, is so is he actually falling for her, or is he just playing her? Is she playing him? It was really hard to to really follow that, because... You couldn't really tell if it was they were trying to play each other and they ended up falling, or you, you couldn't really, I mean... Yeah. No, absolutely. Because at one point, it seems like she's maybe falling for him, too. But then you get a scene later where it's like you think that maybe she's just playing him. Um, I don't know. It it just – everything felt rushed and and like it wasn't fleshed out and it wasn't helped by there being no chemistry between anybody in this. I don't know. You know, thoughts? You're right. I think the word I would use is inert. The movie is inert. There was no chemistry between anybody. That right there I think is what really – like puts a, uh, this film into the ground. There have been plenty of films with scripts that didn't work or people, you know, but like no one, I think, really clicked. You know, please tell me if I'm wrong, if I miss something, but you, none of the main players clicked at all. No, this was a case of like, okay, you can get away with a not great script. Or you can get away with dialogue that isn't great. You can get away with... Uh, you know, lack of chemistry between maybe some of your actors, if the dialogue is good or if the script is good, if the story is compelling. This movie didn't have any of them. Like, everything that that needs to go into making a movie and making it enjoyable isn't there. On top of the fact that there's no, there's no, there's no joy in this movie. There's nothing happy about it. There's no, there's no humor whatsoever. Not even, like, any kind of unintentional humor. There's, there's nothing uplifting at all it, it kind of ends on a downer it starts on a downer it's dark it's brooding the whole time it's like it it was going for being a gritty realistic you know look at these undercover cops but it just nothing about it brought me you know anything but like okay well that was a movie and i watched it and that's it to me it kind of felt like they pulled a little bit of a world war z where they took a name they took a couple characters and a location and then just made 
whatever they wanted after that. They didn't they didn't stick to what it what the original was and it kind of paid a price for it. I think so. Again, not being a huge fan of the show, I, I've only seen bits and pieces of it, so I can't tell you how close this was to the tone of the show, but it's really hard to think that they were just taking the name and running in a completely different direction when it's literally the guy who was responsible for most of the show writing and directing this film. So it wasn't like it was somebody who didn't know the source material. Uh, it was like they, they just... I, it was almost like they wanted to say, hey, remember Miami Vice? Well, this is the Miami Vice that we're going to do, you know, that would happen today. And they went in a completely different direction. I don't know. You know, they, they didn't... The music wasn't there. Um, the music in the movie was good, but mm. they didn't have... It was good in parts. There was some of it that was good. There was some of it that fit. There was some... I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the non-point cover of Phil Collins in the air tonight uh, that they use for the end credits. Was. <laughs> yeah, it was non-point. Um, apparently, they, they had originally... Um, they were going to have uh, Jan Hammer, who did the original Miami Vice theme, come in, but Michael Mann didn't want to use the theme song for some reason, so ultimately they just went in a different direction. The RZA was supposed to work on the soundtrack, and then he didn't. Um, they marketed it heavily with the uh, Jay-Z um, uh, Linkin Park oh, song. was yeah. in all the no, trailers. I'm, I'm on court. Yeah. It was in all the trailers, and it's literally the first thing that you get in the movie. Um, but then they didn't put that on the soundtrack album. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. You know, there was – that was one thing is – and I don't know how common this was prior to 2006, but this movie literally just starts. Like, the first thing is playing that music, and they're in the club, and that's it. And you get no opening credits whatsoever. And you get no credits of any kind until the movie is done, um, which is a little bit different. Because um, at least prior to this, I know most movies would have something. And most movies have a little something in there somewhere. Even The Departed, which... I always, I always joke or, or I always chuckle about when I watch it because the the title card for The Departed doesn't happen for like twelve minutes. Um, I don't know. I, I just I think it's it's almost as if they wanted to make as un Miami Vice a movie as they could. There was no color. Everything was dark. The even the car, like the you know they have a Ferrari F four thirty Spider and it's what gunmetal gray, and they're shooting it at Ooh. night. Like, ooh, okay, that's, you know, give me a red Ferrari, you know. Red is still pretty red at night. Yeah. Yeah, world. but then you would have been able to see it. And so that would have suggested someone had to have made a decision. Well, <laughs> not only that, but Michael Mann was one of the early directors to kind of embrace digital cameras. Um, Collateral was a movie he made. He shot all on, uh, I think he shot all the exteriors digitally. Um, and this was early days of digital cameras and in terms of cinema cameras and i think the movie suffers for that because i don't think it ages very well when you're watching it now with that there's so much grain to the to the imagery most of this movie takes place at night it was almost all shot with digital cinema cameras it compresses the video so much even when it's well lit and it looks like something it it gives it a look like i could have made it in 2006 with with camera equipment i could have gotten a hold of is what I felt like when I was watching this. I wasn't sure if that was the way the movie was or if it was just the the buffering from uh, watching it on 
Netflix. I am one, almost 100% sure that it was not because I remember talking to somebody who saw this when it came out and they said that. They're like, it's just, it looks cheap. And he had done, um, Michael Mann had done Collateral before this and it had that kind of look. Um, but I don't, for whatever reason, I didn't think it was that bad. This just had it worse. It just, plus all the colors muted. So there's no contrast going on. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't like the look of this movie at all. Even the stuff shot in the day looks like it was shot at night. You know, this movie would have looked really good on an OLED. I'm not even sure if it would have looked good on an OLED. To be honest with you, I don't. I don't know that. For whatever reason, the stylistic choices they made in terms of the color palette and color grading, in terms of how they shot it, how they lit it, the the choices for props and cars and wardrobe. It was kind of the same thing. It was just no joy to anything. Everything was dull and gray, and maybe that was a sign of the times. I'm not sure. I know other Michael Mann stuff. Like Heat, I remember being very um, very much like that. But Heat was shot on film, and even the stuff, like the stuff that was shot during the day still had a good cinematic look to it. This was so much of a... It, it gave it a cheaper look, and a lot of this movie was shot handheld, too, if you notice. Um, yeah. I noticed that, and I appreciate that. I do, but then when you get a shot that is a uh, you know a crane shot or a, a helicopter shot of a plane, it looks out of place compared to everything else. Um, there was a lot of really close up stuff too, and and I know that you know sometimes directors will do that as a way to like, oh, we want to be edgy and we want you to feel like you're really inside of what's going on. But like um, towards the end of the movie, Colin Farrell has a whole phone conversation where it looks like he's staring into the camera while he's having the phone conversation, which felt a little off to me. Like it wasn't, it wasn't breaking the fourth wall because he was looking just off the camera, but it just felt like he was just staring into the camera on the phone the whole time. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't, uh, I'm not a big fan of the way this movie looks, you know, cinematography to me when it comes to a film says a lot. And I just felt like this cinematography just said like, "Mm, we don't really care. Like I, I, Look, handheld is great, and I think when used right and used sparingly, I don't think an entire movie needs to be shot handheld necessarily. Um, Everybody loved Blair Witch. But see, that is, that's a very different thing because that movie is supposed to be found footage. But there are, there are other movies you could cite. But my point is, is that in a movie like Blair Witch or something that's found footage or something that's supposed to be a documentary style, like District 9 was supposed to and really started out much more documentary style. And I think that's actually the best part of District 9 is the stuff in the beginning that has all the handheld to it because that's the style they were going for. It's like, if you're going to do that in this movie, then don't have any shots that are set up on cranes. Do the whole thing. Do it end of watch style and just do the whole thing handheld. But they, they kept kind of flowing in between the two a little bit, and so that kind of threw me off. I just didn't like the way – I didn't like the color or lack of color. And it just – it took away – like, I don't know. It There's just no joy. There's nothing happy about this movie no, I, at all. No, I, I get what you're saying. And my comment about Blair Witch was, was more jestful than – no, I, I came across it was my No, you're right. There are times where a couple fight scenes, a handheld, some shaking, it works. But so much of it was done, and it was unnecessary. I think is what it comes down to. You could have had cleaner shots. You could have had uh, something more interesting. And 
uh, you know, handheld has a, has a, a place when done correctly, and they, they overdid it. I think so. Uh, you know, it, I was just I was left after watching this movie, un like um, unfulfilled. I guess would be the term. I don't know. I I felt like okay, it was it was long for one. It's two hours and fifteen minutes, and it felt every bit of that. Um, but it, I just was left unimpressed. Like, was I supposed to somehow feel for Sonny Crockett as an undercover agent getting in too deep, or was he just really, really good at what he did and playing people? You know, Colin Farrell spent a lot of this movie acting with his eyes, but he always looked confused and conflicted. He did look conflicted quite a bit, but, you know, there was also, like, the scene where he notices the watches, he's like, okay, this is something I can use. But then after that, it it ends up being a lot of what have I gotten myself into kind of look. One thing about Colin Farrell is if you look at him just posing, a lot of his pictures you see, he kind of looks a little raised eyebrow anyway. It's kind of just his face. He's got a little bit of a a confused face. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think I think that goes well with the '80s style haircut and yeah. <laughs> that was oh god, that mustache, solid gold. That mustache oh, yeah. and the hair, like in one of my very first notes in this was, well, that hair is uh, that hair is something. All right, because um, if man. my hair was four inches shorter, I could do that. Yeah, I just couldn't. But I don't recommend <laughs> it. I don't know. I it's a look. You got to commit. That's no, definitely. Sure. He did and he committed to it and that's fine. You know, he committed to the whatever accent he was trying to do, he mostly committed to it. Um which they just is, said be American, not didn't tell him where. Yeah. Just <laughs> be American and growl. Um I, I don't know. Well, I just he also was a, you know an American in Florida in this movie, so Yeah. Sorry any listeners in Florida, but Florida man is a mem for a reason. I don't know. I've always felt that Florida, despite being so far south in the U.S., actually tends to have almost like a Midwest accent. Well, it does because so many people from the Midwest retire to Florida. That's why. Uh, Okay. There's not a lot of... I don't really... Yeah. yeah, There's not a ton of southern accents in Florida. At least there wasn't where I've been in Florida. Um, There are some when you get out into the sticks, but... No, it's just... I don't know. I just was left really underwhelmed by this, and I'm kind of, I'm glad that I didn't see it in 2006 when it came out. It it slipped past me in part because I wasn't a big fan of the show, so I was like, eh, I don't really care about Miami Vice. I never saw it, and so I don't feel as though I missed anything. I don't think it it's aged very well, and it's only 13 years old, but it it feels like a product of its time, like it feels like a movie from the mid 2000s. And not in a good way. You know, there are some movies from that era that, that have aged well and some that are that feel timeless and others that just feel like a product of their era, but they're fun. This is a product of that era and it's not fun at all. And there was I, a there was kind of a gritty reboot thing going on for a couple of years there. And yeah, there was sort of fell into it. Yeah, that's a good point. Could I read some of my notes? Absolutely. Uh, my I I got less enthusiastic about note taking as I got less enthusiastic about the movie. So there's a couple weighted more towards the front of the movie. Uh, so open scene in the club goes to the bar, instant service. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, when you throw down a hundred dollar bill, 
Yeah, but still, instant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they were having like whispered conversations <laughs> in the club. Yeah, I'm sure she heard everything he said. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think one of my favorite things was I think I counted three or four scenes of them preparing guns. You know, cocking slides and loading and loading clips. Yeah, and then only one scene of them actually using it, like just you know getting loaded up, everything, and then nothing. Yeah, yep, that was that was true. I did feel, and have any of you seen Heat? I have not. I okay. don't think so. David, I'm, I'm not gonna... answering because I yeah. know the answer. So, if you want to see a good Michael Mann film, watch Heat. And while I was watching this, that entire final shootout, which is, you know, your, the big climax of this movie, for one, again, the way they shot it, it just looked dull. But if you want a good shootout, go watch Heat. Even if you just go find the, the clip of the, the shootout, the bank heist shootout in the middle of Heat, it is, it is a, a case study in how to do a shootout in a movie. And all I, all I could think of while I was watching this was, I just want to watch that scene again. So. Can I say about that last shootout scene? We we spend several minutes stalling so that we you know the sharpshooters can go ahead and you know get the other you know the opposing sharpshooters mm-hmm. found and in line. And after they they do they take the shot. And now we have eliminated one side's snipers. And then we like we never hear back from those guys. Then everyone's just like fully automatic, you know, shooting in the dark at each other. And I kind of just question like. There weren't that many people on the playing field. Yeah, there, if they were just going to shoot them all anyway, why didn't the sharpshooters just take the rest of them out? I, I or, or one or two. Ran out of ammo. Doing it. <laughs> they had like what? They, they one bullet. That's what they showed up with. I, it, it just, especially given we had like one of the op- the beginning scenes, like they had the sharpshooters for the bad guys, like just annihilating the FBI agents who were oh, yeah. Russian. That was and if brutal. Anything, that was like one of the most interesting scenes of the entire effing movie because <laughs> yeah. it, it was so brutal. And I, they, I can only imagine that they'd used like some crash type dummies and like truly shot it, shot like tons of things at it because that was just things being ripped apart in ways. You're just like, Oh God, that is, that is wow. Um, and nothing I, else in the movie compared to that. No, there was no it, nothing. It didn't zero and, and that that right there, that scene was Michael Mann for me. Like that was what he does, which is he has incredible attention to detail. the The shootout from Heat that I'm referencing is like that, where it was one of the first times I can remember seeing a movie where you heard brass hitting the ground in a shootout, and people, you know, you could really you could track how many rounds were being fired. And it was because he had so much attention to detail for that scene. The same thing was when with that scene in the beginning of this movie. There was attention to detail. It all made sense. They get to the shootout at the end of this, and I'm thinking, A, this is boring. B, most of these people should already be dead. Like, there's no, there is no way Jamie Foxx survived that shootout because that shot of him where he jumps in in front of the dude and, he, and the dude just unloads, he was too close to miss him. So it's like that. that's the kind of stuff that, you know, lesser directors do, um, not the, Michael the Mann. Role, the roll into the grenade shotgun yeah. without a scratch. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff, like, Michael Mann doesn't do that. 
at least not to my my memory of any of the stuff that I've watched him in. He doesn't make mistakes like that. So that that really hurt it for me. And I don't know. I just that that whole end shootout to me fell flat. Um, did you have any other notes, David? Or was that kind of it? Those those were the two. We kind of already discussed everything else. Okay. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention real quick, because this kind of goes back to the whole Michael Mann and um, preparation thing, was he had um, Colin Farrell, I don't know if Jamie Foxx did it or not, but Colin Farrell go on and you know talk to some, some actual undercover cops. And apparently they had him uh, go on uh, a drug bust and there, I have not seen the special features on like the DVD for this, but there's supposed to be video um, on there of that. And at one point, guns were drawn during the drug bust, and Colin Farrell instinctively like ripped open his shirt to show that he wasn't wearing a wire. And the cops were praising him for that, as far as like the way it was go. It was all set up. It was all um, fake. There was no real danger, but they did that to try and get him into the head of being a. a a undercover cop and apparently it gave him insomnia for a few nights um so that's the kind of attention to detail that you know michael mann is capable of i just felt like he didn't do it in this movie so um so that's going to kind of bring us to uh our final verdict of this movie as far as you know look i saw this movie now i didn't see it in 2006 it's 2019 it's 13 years later I did not care for it, and honestly, I, it's not one that I would even recommend to people. Usually I can find something in a movie to be like, yeah, you know, if you like this actor or you like this director, go ahead and see this. It's worth seeing at least once. I don't think this movie is even worth seeing once, but that's that's my opinion. Uh, AJ, what do you think, having now seen it for the second time? I, I like the comment earlier. Bad Boys 2 was more <laughs> of a Miami Vice than Miami Vice was. Just go watch that. It was made three years earlier, a little bit longer. It's funny. It's the same sort of stuff. It's drug dealers. There go fast boats. Uh, it was enjoyable. This, yeah, that's it. It wasn't like horrible. It's just like lukewarm water. It's like tepid. It was just, nah. yeah, that's it. Okay. Yep. That's exactly how I feel. It's not that I hate this movie. I just don't care. Uh, but Keith, your first time seeing this movie, what would you say? Uh, again, I, I, I just feel that it pulled a little bit of a World War Z, not not nearly to the same extent that that, that movie did, but it just kind of it just felt to me like it took parts of you know a couple parts and used them to make a completely different movie. Because from what I remember of the series, it just it didn't line up. They're you know they were detectives in Miami, not federal you know federal deputies. You know it's it it just didn't line up for me. Well, the federal deputies thing, that was basically just a way to, to keep them as part of the whole FBI task force investigation. I don't think that really played a huge role in it. Um, but I get well, what you're yeah, saying. But it, yeah, it, it seems like they did that so they could get away from being in Miami. And the whole, I figured the whole thing was like, you know, you're making a Miami Vice movie. Make it in Miami. Yeah. Nope, I get what you're saying. All right, and uh, David, your first time seeing this movie, as with so many movies we do on this show, um, what did you think? As with a lot of other movies we've watched, it had very interesting parts, and it had a lot of potential. And I actually would have said I enjoyed it until probably the last half hour, where like seven plot things they set up <laughs> were just completely ignored. Yeah, And like... 
it just it it's like they wanted to have a sequel or they wanted a cliffhanger but didn't set either of them up right um i would say i give it a eh. it wasn't <laughs> bad it, or it wasn't awful it wasn't great yeah. i don't think i'll watch it again no i have no reason to to watch it again um you know when somebody asks me so you watched miami vice what'd you think i say okay that's about it <laughs> That's about all I got. Um, so so we do this show every week. Uh, put new episodes out every Saturday. Um, and uh, this will be – this is actually our 19th episode. So we're, we're coming up on 20 episodes now, which is pretty remarkable. Um, you can find our show at tvstravis.com. That's the website that I made for it um, because I'm a giant egomaniac. I gave it my own Twitter handle name. Um, but you can go there. You can – subscribe to the show you can download it through apple Podcasts, google podcasts um we do uh ask if you can get onto apple Podcasts, get onto uh, the the podcast directories give us a uh, you know a review if you like the show give us a five-star review if you don't like the show give us a four-star review um whatever you can do to help uh is great and uh you can follow me on twitter at tv's travis tvs Travis. Um, I post about when we're recording, what movie we're doing. Um, if I start getting uh, some feedback there, you can um, you can try to suggest shows for me. Um, any of you guys use any kind of social media, or are you all pretty much? Yeah, just the standard stuff, Reddit and Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much uh, the same, unfortunately. I have a Twitter, but I wouldn't be comfortable sharing it because I haven't used it since I was like <laughs> 17, and I'm and... not exactly out of what's on it fair enough that's fine um well you know follow me then just go to find tv's travis and uh you know whatever you can do to uh spread the word about the show and and help us to to keep making you know we're gonna pass 20 episodes here and we'd like to make another at least five so um (laughs) no honestly we're gonna keep making the show for as long as uh we just feel like doing it and we hope that you'll listen um if you enjoy the show spread the word um but you can you know, you, you can find us every week, every Saturday. We've got a new episode out. Um, but I want to thank you guys for joining me this week. It, this definitely wasn't a movie that uh, I'm super thrilled that I watched. But, you know, I watched it, and that's fine. And I appreciate you guys taking the time to watch the movie and then talk with me about it. Yeah, so, it, go ahead. Uh, it was a movie. <laughs> I, I, I always enjoy being on the show, so. Yeah, some for things sure. went bang, some things went boom. Some people went bang, some people banged. You know, that was another thing I do want to mention real quick here at the end is some of the effects in this were pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> for a movie that supposedly cost $135 million to make, I didn't really buy any of the explosions, and the green screen was pretty bad. So it just it just fell flat. Nothing about this seemed like they put in full effort. The actors didn't put in a full effort. The director didn't put in a full effort. And so that's that's where this one lands. But um, once again, I want to thank you guys for being on the show. Um, so until next time, um, which I don't know what movie we're doing yet, enjoy the movies that you do watch.
caffeine for mojitos.